Hi everybody, I'm Seth Busby, editor of Flying Solo. Welcome to our weekly podcast where we step inside the minds and lives of soloists and small business owners. Today's guest is Edwina Sharrock, founder of Birthbeat. Edwina's business has been a real game changer for regional parents and parents-to-be. It provides them with access to prenatal care and child first aid programs and is so successful she's been run off her feet. She's here today to share with us a little of her journey. Welcome, Edwina. It's so good to have you on the show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Lovely to be here. Excellent. Now, I would like to take a step back for our listeners to where it all began. You're a uh, midwife and emergency nurse by practice. What made you decide to put that aside to start? Well, not really put aside because obviously your business is still all about a lot of that. But what made you decide to go out there on your own and start Birthbeat? Well, I think, and I think it's probably a very common theme around why people start businesses, but particularly why women start businesses, it was because of my own personal experience. Mm. So when I was 38 weeks pregnant with my first daughter, Polly, our local maternity unit closed its doors. Oh. And we were facing a bit of a crisis situation. I'm based in regional New South Wales in a town called Tamworth. Yes, I was just going to preface that for everyone. Yes, you're, yeah. <laughs> it's um, not like you're in Sydney and suddenly no, our no. hospital closed and you've exactly. got a plethora of choice. <laughs> yes. Um, so we didn't have a plethora of choice. We had a public hospital and a private hospital. Mm. I actually worked at the public hospital and I had chosen to birth at the public hospital. Mm. But I was still really upset by this closure because it meant a further reduction in services around regional health. That, that really sort of got my blood boiling. Yeah. And what that hospital that did close had done really well was childbirth education, really mm. great classes. Mm. At the time, the classes could do with a bit of improvement. And after Polly was born, so we didn't do classes. And I had in my mind, I'm a very competitive person, you know, I'm going to be great at birth. (laughs) And I sort of said to my husband, you know, you're not really going to do much. Don't worry about classes. I'll be fine. Um, So I really came at it from a clinical midwifery point of view, as opposed to being a mum and becoming a mum and really (laughs) honouring his experience. I just, I didn't value that at all. Mm. And look, Polly's birth experience it was still quite positive, you know, mm. I think compared to sometimes um, there's a huge range of birth experiences. Mm. But I tried to control it and I am quite a controlling person and it's definitely something that I was working on and I wanted it to happen all a certain way. Mm. And Polly is a healthy baby and we had a healthy labour and pregnancy and birth and I'm really grateful for that. However, after, my husband was pretty shocked. He was like, what was that? (laughs) And I thought, gosh, that really was. And as I started to reflect on it and talk with more and more mothers uh, as Polly was a newborn, I just got researching around childbirth education and what a difference that can make to the birth experience, not only for the mum but for the recovery, for those early days, for your partner, for your expectation on yourself, for the fear. Like I couldn't believe how scared I was at certain times even though I had worked in the birth suite. Yeah, And it got me thinking, like, what must other women feel 
prior to going into labour and birth and really got researching in that space. And the fear and overwhelm and anxiety were really strong themes. And I was like, gosh, that's awful. Let's, you know, I know that with quality education and with knowing what to expect, we can improve that. Mm. But then I found out (laughs) that it didn't exist. Like, and it didn't. And classes were pretty outdated. Like the model's pretty outdated. Mm. Come along with your partner, sit over six to eight evenings during the week or give up whole weekends. Mm. Like, come on. You'd be lucky as well if they said partner. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, uh, well, that's the thing. Exactly. It was all about mums and dads and, you know, I feel like missing a whole big part of our important community. Mm. So that really started me on my research and I was like, okay, it's got to be done better. Then I found out that a third of our maternity units in Australia have closed in the last 15 years. And, you know, as I said, I'm based regional. Most of these were in rural, regional and remote Australia, apart from Mona Vale Hospital. And I was like, gosh, that's, you know, with that, that just even removes the option. If you wanted to go to the hospital classes and birth there, it's just not even an option for so many women. That's terrible. Why was it so neglected? And And it's still continuing at that rate, sec. And I will say that's a global trend. (sighs) So that's reflected as a global trend. And we know from the research, I really get on my soapbox about this, but we know from the research that with removal of those services, there's an increase in perinatal morbidity and mortality. So we're having mums and babies die in Mm. the Western healthcare system because they can't access quality education and they can't access quality services. And that really gets me mad. Oh, it's just such uh, an avoidable tragedy, isn't it? It sure is. And I think it's also not um, a reality that those that don't live in rural, regional and remote Australia are even aware of. It's like, mm. oh, why wouldn't you go to the other hospital? There's not another hospital for 400 kilometres. Yeah. Um, I was speaking to a mother just yesterday who had had a late miscarriage and then she'd had a stillbirth all in one hospital. So her experience was in these two birth suites and then she's now pregnant with her third and doesn't want to birth at that hospital. And I think that's completely valid. Yeah. But her next hospital is 400 kilometres away. So, you know, just the logistical nightmare, it's not another suburb away, Mm. you know, and she actually is crossing a border to get to this hospital, (laughs) a state border. And I was like, I think it's good just to keep telling these stories so that people understand that access to healthcare can be really challenging in rural areas. Um, so, you know, I banged on like I'm banging on now to you <laughs> <laughs> for, for a few weeks and a few months and my husband, an incredibly pragmatic man, was like, you need to do something about this or you need to stop because, you know, I'm getting sick of hearing about it. Um, why don't you start teaching childbirth education classes? Like you love it, you're passionate about it, that's something that you do really well. Yeah. And that was it very naively zero business experience zero knowledge around anything um business wise Mm. I just started inviting strangers into our living room (laughs) uh, I'm an extreme extrovert my husband is an extreme introvert so strangers coming to our living room uh was not an okay model for him so very quickly we rented a little space I'll do the fast forward version, which is essentially then, and all those words, you know, it was all organic. We had no marketing spend. I didn't even know about all of these things. I just loved teaching new parents. Like I loved supporting women. 
Yeah, I was just going to say sometimes that's an advantage when you're when you're doing something that you love and you decide to turn it into a business. Yeah, um, and not actually having those other ideas of oh, I've got to get the plan, I've got to get the marketing right, I've got to do all these all these hurdles before I can actually start. It's 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 yeah. You I'm don't the have definition that. of fake it till you make it. Yeah. I, I, and I own that, and I think it's really important, particularly to other women entrepreneurs and business owners to be really honest about my experience and not, Hmm. you know, gloss over things because I was like, that doesn't help you. I remember I used to, like I'm a really curious person, I'd be like, how'd you do that? How'd you do that? And I'd always ask people, hey, tell me about how you did that. Hmm. And I just found it really hard to find those resources at the time. Hmm. Um, Anyway, we rented a little space. Our classes would book out weekend after weekend and I actually got really overwhelmed. So I was then, we, we then had baby Theo Mm. Um, and again, the course that we've written for Birthbeat is really unique. So it's really inclusive. It's really comprehensive. Mm. It doesn't judge anything about your choices with birth. Mm. I found like a lot of the birth courses were, this is the way you birth. And if you don't birth that way, there's this yeah. feeling that you didn't birth correctly. And I was yeah. like, there's no right and wrong in birth. Like you don't fail in birth and we need to change that culture. We just need to empower women to make their own choices and when they're their own choices they're educated choices that's Mm. kind of the ethos behind us um so roscoe did a birthday course with me not taught by me never try and teach your husband (laughs) (laughs) um and the day that theo was born was a genuinely enjoyable day there was no fear there was no anxiety it was just this incredible day where we birthed and met our son like it's it was our birthday the family collective birthday Polly you know I remember Polly meeting her little brother and it just really got me thinking even as overwhelmed as I felt from the business side of things it just continued to light my fire that we have to support and serve more women and that's what continually drives me when I get overwhelmed with the business side of things I try not to like I take my mindset from you know, balance sheet and profit and loss Mm. to serving women. Mm. And that always gets me back into where I need to be to continue to do my job. Mm. Um, So the classes were growing and we had this couple that came from Cobar, which is about four or 500 kilometres from Tamworth. And I was like, you guys have travelled a long way to come to this class. And they said, yeah, because there's, you know, nothing else available. Um, They were birthing in Dubbo. And it just made me think, Again, like how do I serve more people? But I I just didn't have any spare time. I was full-time in the maternity unit and I had a two- and a four-year-old at this stage. Mm. And we looked at franchising and, I, you know, that just felt overwhelming to me to employ staff. Mm. And at the time there was this award called the Commonwealth Bank Innovation Award. It was a national award for an innovative business idea. And I, I still to this day do not know how it came across, you know, my computer yeah but I saw it and I was like you know what we should do we should do online childbirth education classes and that way we could serve the whole country yeah you know and serve all those communities that don't have access and so I just started writing a business plan like googling how to write a business plan entered this competition (laughs) totally fake it till you make it talked about my team which I didn't have it was still (laughs) you know in my pajamas uh in the home study and we won. We were the national winner. <laughs> so I still remember when ComBank rang me, and I've told this story to the whole ComBank marketing team, so I'm happy to openly say this. 
and they said, you know, we're going to fly you to Sydney, you're going to stay at the Hilton, bring your team down, you'll work in the UX labs, we'll work with the innovation team, they were going to give us $10,000. It was just <laughs> unbelievable <laughs> to me. So I faked a team. I asked one friend to take a couple of days off work and another friend who was unemployed. I said, can you come with me? I just say you work for birthbeats, so embarrassing. Uh, but they were like, yeah, sure. And we sat there and my mind was blown. I was like, this is the solution. This, I didn't know anything about UX. I didn't know anything about building wireframes. And I remember that night I stayed up till about 3 a.m. sitting in the Hilton building out the first wireframe for birthbeat online. And that was uh, wow. the beginning. And then they gave us the money and we reinvested that money and we continued to reinvest, reinvest, reinvest. And it was just all bootstrapped. We were still quite small. And I remember then one day my husband said, um, you know, you're spending a lot of time on Birthbeat. Is it making you any money? Yeah. And I think this is important to talk about in business because no one had sort of tapped me on the shoulder at that stage and said that. I yeah. was like, oh, but I just love doing it and the women love it. And he was like, yeah, um, but. <laughs> and I said, I don't even know where to start with that. Like, how do you know if you're making any money? And he was like, you do a P&L. I was like, cool, Google, what is a P&L? <laughs> and I think I worked out that I'd made about $2,000 that year. Uh, and he said, great, what'd you put in the wages column? And I didn't have a wages column, so we worked out that I was probably paying myself about 50 cents an hour. Oh, awesome. <laughs> and that's when I got serious about educating myself, learning about business yeah. and really appreciating that if I genuinely want to serve more women, uh, I need to understand, I need to own that and take responsibility for that learning. Wow, that's quite the journey. And now you, you're not satisfied with just fixing the uh, women's prenatal care issues. You, you've embarked further afield and you're you're solving the whole um you know, child safety element with your your other courses and and again, that's just you know born out of necessity. Getting emails, getting messages from people who had done the birthbeat course and letting us know what a joy that was. But then they left the hospital or the midwife left them at home, and they're like, "What if this baby stops breathing?" Like you don't get a manual yeah. around. Hey, you're now responsible for this little small human being. So we now teach breastfeeding support. We teach sleep support, you know, so it's important that you understand how important sleep is for your mental and physical health. Mm. But do you also understand what normal newborn sleep looks like? Yeah. You know, that sleep like a baby, whoa, isn't that the biggest untruth? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, you know, really educating parents to understand what that looks like and it, that it's going to change, you know. Mm. It is going to change week by week um, and really educating them about what to expect. But as an emergency nurse, I I experienced parents walking into the emergency department to the triage window with flat, lifeless little people in their hands and saying, we just didn't know what to do. Oh, my God, how terrible. Like, it's horrifying. And so many of the things like febrile convulsions, choking, burns, mm. you know, head injuries, if you know basic first aid, you can save a child's life really easily. Mm. And it's so important. Like I have this, I always say, I have this belief you need a license to buy a shotgun, you know, in Australia. And mm. I, I truly believe part of getting a license to have a baby is that every parent and carer should do baby and child first aid. 
mm. and feel confident in it. And, and mm. it's going to help them, but it's also going to help the baby. Yeah. Oh, um, and drownings too, my goodness. Yeah, drownings. And, you know, we're not winning there. They're mm. not decreasing. They're increasing. Mm. Um, SIDS, thankfully, so sudden infant death syndrome is decreasing. That was a really good public campaign, but mm. drowning is not. All those flat-headed babies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you know, I kind of go um, – Flat-headed babies, it's, it's a bit of a hot topic in our community because we have a really active online social community. Yeah. Um, I'm like, it, it'll pass. Do you know what I mean? It's so rare that it will be a permanent yeah. thing that you need to see a paediatrician for. But anyway, we, <laughs> we digress. <laughs> but that's what I love about our online social community as well. It's mums sharing with other mums. Like we've created that virtual mothers group. Mm. And then the business has just sort of very organically exploded because we now have these multiple distribution channels. Hmm. So that's really where we've seen our growth. And you've had some exciting news uh, recently with Cartier. <laughs> Would you like to tell our, our listeners a little about yes. that? Yes. And I think it's nice to tell the little back-end story to this because yeah. I actually applied in 2019. Yeah. Um, again, a, another friend was applying and I had seen on Instagram that she was putting her application in and I looked at it and I was like, wow, that looks amazing. It, once I started learning about business, it truly has become a bit of an obsession for me, particularly for female founders, like mm. a lot around our mindset and a lot around our um, knowing our worth and that really fascinates me. And I had read about INSEAD, this incredible global business school, and I'm a big believer in manifesting and setting my goals. Mm. And in my mind, I, I just was like, I'm going to go to INSEAD one day. I'm going to go to France and I will go to INSEAD. Yeah. And I saw that part of the Cartier Award is tuition to INSEAD. Mm. I was like, okay, this is my, <laughs> this is my way that I'm going to get there. Um, and I went through the application. It was quite an extensive application process. It's a global award mm. and I got to the final five so that was at the end of 2019 mm. the thing about Cartier is that they're so generous with their sharing of their knowledge and the community is incredibly generous so the jury then gave me a follow-up phone call and just said these are some areas in the business we, that we think you could work on and I was really appreciative of that I'm also a good worker like you tell me what to do I'll do it like that's that curious entrepreneurial yeah very, I guess, um, you know, I've got a very open mindset. So I did all those things and then I came back a year later and they were all like, wow, we don't see people coming back a second time. I was like, oh, is that embarrassing for me? But anyway, I'm here. <laughs> um, and they're like, why are you back? And, you know, tell us about your business. And I said, well, I'm back and, you know, 12 months ago you told me to do this, this and this and I've done this, this and this and this is how it's impacted the business. And I think they were quite impressed by that. Mm. Um, and then you go through the jury process and the jury is global. It's really intimidating. Um, at the end they said, oh, do you have any questions? And I said, oh, not really um, any questions. Thank you for your time. And, um, well, if I don't get in this year, I'll see you next year. <laughs> <laughs> and they just laughed and I was like, yeah, I'm not kidding. I will be back. <laughs> so, um, but I was really very fortunate to be selected, yeah, um, as Australia's only Cartier Fellow for 2021. And yeah, it's pretty awesome. In the program, it goes till November. Mm. And, you know, INSEAD is meant to be happening in December this year. Um, but thank you, global pandemic. That's not going to happen, but I will get there. Like Cartier again, 
I think the power is in the networking at mm. INSEAD. So once we are able to travel, travel. they will honour that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so awesome. Oh, it's so unbelievable. And the, the I think for me as well, being a solo founder based in a regional area, having my eyes opened to the 21 other women Mm. is what's also been hugely valuable and seeing what they're doing. And they're all working on what we refer to as the world's to-do list. Mm. What we're doing is aligned with reaching the sustainability goals. That's so incredible. It's just amazing. I just can't imagine how much Birthbeat has also impacted so many hundreds, thousands of families' lives just from them being able to have yeah, access. It's pretty cool. Sometimes it overwhelms me a little bit, but it is. It's thousands of <laughs> families. So last year, in terms of like when I said we have our different distribution, it was pretty early in the piece. It was actually Combank that we were just selling B2C and they highlighted that this would be really something interested that they would be wanting to include in their health and wellbeing into their benefits package. Mm. And, again, that was two years ago, pre-COVID, um, and I think even more we have found our product market fit with corporate Australia and corporate globally mm. in including our program for creating a culture in the workplace that when you are going to have your baby, that the organisation is saying, hey, we really value that this is a life-changing event mm. um, and we look forward to welcoming you back after this life-changing event and Birthbeat's the way to start that dialogue. So we work with a lot of HR teams and a lot of D&I teams in saying not only are we looking at recruitment but we're looking at engagement and retention of parents in the workplace and that really excites me as well because I think if we're going to keep striving towards this gender equity or looking at the pay gap mm. when you become a mother particularly that's when a lot of those opportunities are either closed or that pay gap widens yeah whereas I'm like well here's a way for us to start that conversation a lot earlier yeah it's it's a really important conversation too so important and I just um I feel like Australia some companies are doing really well with this. Um, some companies, we still have mums expressing their breast milk in the toilets and that's not okay. No. <laughs> so we've got some work to do there. Yes, definitely. But still there have there has been some progress, I guess. Absolutely. Small definitely. steps, we still yeah, need definitely. to acknowledge them. Exactly. Um, and then the third one was actually because – a lot of my colleagues, obviously, and midwives and working all over Australia and know about what we were doing. Mm. When the pandemic hit, we got a lot of requests to deliver classes in hospitals, so to take over the hospital. So what we did there, though, is because hospitals work really hard on their brand and wanting to support their patients and their clients, mm. we also might have unique things, um, like they might not offer water births or there might be certain policies that they want their patients or women to be aware of mm. so we white labeled so we co-branded or white labeled our software so that these hospitals could continue to support the women when their close when their hospital classes had to close very suddenly wow yeah so that was did you have to fun. google white label <laughs> oh um, we were already white label with our corporates so i, <laughs> I did know about that one <laughs> oh, but um that from the tech 
perspective mm. meant some very, very quick rebuilds Yeah, because um, we built them their own sites. So I, I, it still boggles my head that I know how quickly we could do a rebuild. Mm. <laughs> like if, if someone had said that to me 10 years ago, I'd be like, rebuild what? Sorry, what? <laughs> um, but I like that I did it myself yeah. early, poorly, mind you. Like, do you know what I mean? I, I don't pretend that I'm any sort of software engineer. Did it poorly, but I have an understanding now that when I'm working with teams, A, I can call their BS, but B, I can really have a deeper understanding of what they're trying to achieve and what I need to give them so that they can achieve that. Thank you so much, Edwina. Any advice you would have for our soloists or, or anyone wanting to take on the entrepreneur journey? I think the entrepreneur journey, and I think particularly if you're a solo founder, the majority of what you need to work on is you mm. and your mindset and how you look after you. I, again, five years ago, if you talked to me about having a coach, I probably would have been a bit of a pessimist about it and rolled my eyes and thought mm. that that was very Tony Robbins, you know, like I would be really dismissive and say something like that. Yeah. I, I now adore Tony Robbins and have my cold showers. And I think invest in the right people that are going to help you to serve more people, just mm. whatever that looks like, like however you're doing good in the world. It's a really hard journey. It's a really lonely journey. And the more you can appreciate that and look after you and invest in you. Mm, and get support where you can. Absolutely. And, and go easy on yourself. Like I'm a very competitive person. I'm not a very patient person. And actually the CEO of Cartier, and I've got it written above my computer at my desk, mm. talked to us about serenity and patience. And he says it in his beautiful Parisian accent, of course, and it sounds much, you know, much more impressive. And I, they're the two things that I'm working on at the moment. And I think as entrepreneurs, we're all about like the hustle and the grind and the mm. grit. And I was like, that's a really interesting perspective just to think about the serenity and the patience is coming. Of course, you still need to do the work. Mm. That's not, patience isn't sit back and not do the work, but it's just really kind of taking some time to reflect mm. and know that it is coming. Yeah. And I always finish with, just be kind. Yes. Same thing. I tell my two young children, it's the same thing. It's the culture of our organisation. Like, well, what's the kind thing to do there? Be good to each other. Yeah. Be a good person and the universe will always reward you. Thank you so much, Edwina. It's been absolutely awesome having you to talk to today. My pleasure. <laughs>